0: I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design. In this episode of the podcast, you are going to hear from designer Elisa Baran. Baran and her eponymous bicoastal firm are responsible for some interesting new looks. And by interesting, I mean that in a positive sense, in, in every sense of the word. She has a very unique perspective on materiality and the meaning of perfection in her work. Part of this includes application of wabi-sabi. She embraces it, and brutalism. She embraces it in her uh, otherwise softer and and muted work for what is truly a unique look, and I don't say that lightly, and one that I believe will gain traction as Elisa garners more attention, more followers, more press, more pub, more ink, of which this is part. (laughs) ¶¶ Okay, I got excited there for a minute. But when you see her work, when you hear her talk, I, I think you will too. Anyway, before we get to my chat with Baran, it's time for another book look segment on the show featuring Homes by Bird, the art and architecture of Robert Bird and his son Gary. A new offering by Chris Lukather showcasing the work of Robert Bird and his son Gary. As the title suggests, curious. Have you ever heard of Robert Byrd or his son Gary Byrd? Probably not, unless you live in the San Fernando Valley in Southern California. This book is an amazing, fun trot down memory lane for people like me who grew up in Southern California and love architecture. Byrd rose to prominence at a time when one could perform the work of an architect without actually being a licensed architect. For those of you who listened to the tragic story of 1001 North Roxbury, in that situation, not Byrd, but Carlton, Al Burgess, designed a world-class home despite not being a licensed architect. I wonder if he had been licensed, if that might have dampened his creative approach to residential design. But first Byrd, and then later work by his son Gary, Gary represented some of the most identifiable architecture of the Southern California landscape as it relates to the San Fernando Valley. The whimsical approach to residential design with flagstone patios, leaded glass windows, fun and fanciful brickwork, shingles and forever views of pools, canyons, yards, and open spaces, low-slung walls with rooflines that seemingly extended off cliffs, turret-like chimneys, all lend to the feeling of the San Fernando Valley from the perspective of a young Angelino with a passion for architecture and design talking about me for a second in case you didn't know I grew up in a in a home similar to this and if you are not from LA though bird and his son Gary did work in other states this is a southern california design story but the great part is you don't need to be from LA to appreciate the bird's work and it's right here in this book from Lukather, to view, peruse, learn, and enjoy. The book is called Homes by Bird: The Art and Architecture of Robert Bird and His Son Gary. Check the show notes for a link to buy. And I and I hope you do because books like this are important. This showcases architecture that, you know, if you're not from the San Fernando Valley, if you're not from Southern California or didn't live in a bird home, you may not have ever seen this, and it's very cool, and I love this, and I hope you get the book. Up next, my conversation with designer Alisa Baran, and if you're, yeah, uh, you're gonna hear it right after this. I am incredibly proud of Convo by Design in year 10, and I'm equally proud of my partnership with Thermosol. They've been presenting partners of Convo by Design for three years now, and there is a certain amount of pride that comes with saying that the show is presented by the company that is the best in the world at what they do. Thermosol engineers the most exceptional smart shower products and steam shower systems worldwide for a few reasons. They were the first company to design patent the technology here in the U.S. dating back to 1958. Thermosol, a U.S. brand, a U.S. manufacturer in Round Rock, Texas, employs an engineering team that designs, tests, and continuously refines the product. Their quality control team tests every single steam generator before it departs the factory. Who else does that? Nobody. I have had the pleasure of working with some world-class designers and architects who tell me And you probably know this, that the idea of luxury has changed and continues to change, especially when clients want a spa-like bathroom. Steam is mandatory. Or it's just not considered a, a luxury space. And if you want to add steam, you have one true option. It's Thermosol. And now, Thermosol, the industry leader in steam, bath equipment, and technology since 1958, is enhancing their already stellar family of products with new indoor and outdoor luxury saunas. Available in three design configurations, each sauna is handcrafted from clear western red cedar or Nordic spruce, inspired by the brilliance of northern European sauna technology and design. A luxury bathroom isn't luxury without steam. If you want luxury, you have one option. It's Thermosol. Check them out at thermosol.com and at thermosol on the socials. One of the things that I have learned over time, and I really do love this, is that everyone's got a story. Everyone's story is different. As, as we get into um, the design work that you do, I think a lot of that is going is to come out of, you know, background and, and backstory, specifically, you know. How would you wind up doing what you're doing? How did you wind up in design? A- and specifically, what is the what is the influence of brutalism, wabi sabi, a a muted color palette? This this idea you have a, you have a very very distinct um, style in your design, which is which is in many ways different than a lot of the designers I speak to what's the what's the backstory
1: yeah well I didn't start in interior design so I started I graduated from fashion institute of design and merchandising in California and I was in fashion PR for a while so I always loved design but it wasn't from an interior's perspective it was always from fashion and creating doing something with my hands always made me very happy Um, so I had started at this fashion PR firm, um, launched a fashion line and jewelry line during this time while at school. And, um, I did this for a couple of years. I was at the PR firm for four years and realized I didn't love, there was something missing and I wanted to do a pivot. I wanted to have a pivot in my life. I just didn't know what it was. So my parents being in real estate my mom in real estate was like why don't you just get your real estate license and i was like well you know everyone everyone's got the real estate license i guess it's a great thing to have in your back pocket why not this time i was 22 years old and um, so i got my real estate license um and by showing clients homes and seeing all of these incredible properties in california in beverly hills and homeby hills and West Hollywood, all of the iconic areas, I fell in love with design and architecture. So that's what made me made my initial pivot. And um, I flipped my first home in 2000 and I believe it was 2016 or 2017. Um, and it did really well. And then that's when I just couldn't stop. I just loved interior design and just kept wanting, wanting to go. And move forward with it.
0: So you got your license?
1: Yeah. I got my uh my real estate license, started showing homes, selling homes to clients, um, both on the seller side and buyer side, but didn't love it. Um, yeah, kind of jumped forward to like the design part because I didn't really love the real estate.
0: <laughs> you know what's really interesting about that is um. And I think I think it's fascinating for me to, to sort of hear the story jumping from FITM to real estate it, into, into design because I can see that path. That path makes sense to me. What's really interesting, too, is when you're doing real estate, you're seeing people at their best and sometimes at their worst, the manner in which they live. You're, you're actually hearing real-world conversations of people like – as they're walking through a house, you never get this from, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you never really get this from a client where they're telling you what they want in their design. You know, they'll show you the Pinterest pictures. They'll show you, you know, the aspirational stuff, but they never really tell you what it is that they want. But when they're walking through a home, they'll tell you all the things that they hate and all the things that they really like. You really get this idea of what they're really looking for, don't you?
1: Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's a very, comes from a very negative perspective when you're walking through a home because it's really never anything positive. It's just, this is what I don't like. This is what I don't want. This is what I would fix. And I do believe that is to lower the price of the home. They say it obviously so that, you know, they have a negotiation standpoint from there to be like, okay, well, this didn't have what we wanted. So now the seller can be like, okay, well, they didn't like this. So maybe they're going to try and, you know, negotiate the price of it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I do get a lot of, I have a few clients that are very in on the, uh, design perspective. They love, they love design and they want to tell me exactly what they want, but you're right from the most, for the most part, it's with Pinterest and they're like, this is what I want. (laughs) This is what I want it to look like.
0: Have you, what have you gleaned from, from that experience and how did that, how does that inform how you deal with and work with n- new clients specifically because you you're you're a, you're a rarity um, you have a very, very distinct design style of your own. It's one that you really seem to specialize in, which is not a common thing to do. you know, most designers that I have spoken to will say, you know I I just want to, I want to be a blank page. You know, I want the the client to tell me what it is that they want. I can design to any style. And it's not that you can't, it's that, and I'm wondering, is this your fashion background where you you have a distinct style and that's kind of what you're going for? And in this case, you want to find the clients who specifically match the style in which you deliver.
1: I think so. I think that's the ultimate goal. Of course, I will... I want their perspective. I want to work with them. I'm a very collaborative person. So if they have a specific taste that they're not really leaning more, if they're leaning more towards wabi-sabi than brutalism, or they're, you know, they're leaning more towards contemporary or modern, I will, of course, work with them. I'm not going to say no and say, okay, I'm only strictly brutalism. And um, I love it for me. I love, I love this style and taste. And I'll, of course, pitch the ideas and see how they feel about it, but I'm not going to force anything on a client. It's In the end, I just want them to be at home and uh, feel comfortable in their space. That's the ultimate goal to just, to just achieve. And so I think fashion definitely had an influence on this for sure. Um, from a fashion perspective, I always wanted to feel and look different. Um, I, that was the one way I could stand out in, I think, the reason why I started my jewelry line first was because I went to a Catholic school when I was younger and we had to wear uniforms. The only way I could stand out was through jewelry. I got a few uh, detention slips from that because, (laughs) because I would wear like crazy jewelry, like body chains and, you know, fun armor on my hands. And, um, and I think through this and through heavy metal uh, materials and doing different, um, using different things that would you wouldn't normally see people, young girls wear, uh, especially at a Catholic school. I think that also influenced the brutalism side of me of using these raw, rough materials um, in my projects now.
0: How did that translate into your preference when it comes to design and architecture?
1: I, you know, I, brutalism actually came later on for me. I never really knew about it until my brother Uh, He is, uh, we have a very similar design style, but he introduced me to that architecture um, and this sense of style. And so I really latched onto that. And I was more of the wabi-sabi Japanese type of interior. I loved um, everything about bringing greenery into the home, um, using lime wash and uh, very natural materials. And he was more of the rough, rugged symmetry. uh, You know, uh, just shapes. Everything was very rough and hard, and so that combination kind of, I think, set my style and elevated. This was back in 2017 when I renovated his home, and um, and that's when I figured out, wow, this is what this is my combination. This is what I want to do. And stick to. It's
0: it's interesting too because it in many cases when it comes to design you know brutalism is not is not really thought of as warm welcoming comfortable and inviting wabi-sabi is you know this this practice of accepting the imperfections and finding the perfect in the imperfections and when you put these two things together it doesn't it doesn't really it doesn't really say warm, comfortable, and inviting. And one of the things that I love to do, and we're going to do this in a little bit, is look at some of your projects, and we'll, we'll talk about how this, how this becomes what you want it to be, ultimately what your clients want it to be. I'm interested, though, your thoughts on this particular style, because it is, it's, it's, not, um, it's not an overwhelmingly popular style currently. By putting yourself there, it seems like it gives you the opportunity when you find clients who love this particular idea, it gives you an opportunity maybe to explore the space a little bit and and kind of ad- advance the ideas behind it.
1: Definitely. I, I don't think I've ever come across a client yet that loves brutalism. And, and and when they they read about it, like I have a client currently that really wanted to go um, towards the Danish perspective and more, uh, it was like Scandinavian meets Japandi style. So I, of course, this I love as well, because there are some very natural elements, like, you know, kind of uh, lots of white oak. And, and then there's with the Japandi, there's just like a weird shapes and lots of plaster and like unique forms. And for me, that, that matches perfectly. Um, I think it's cool to have that juxtaposition. Um, but when it comes to brutalism and wabi-sabi, I feel it, not many people are like, okay, I want my home to be brutalist except for my brother, which was, I was like, what's that? And, uh, and yeah, he, I mean, we designed this couch that was just made out of plywood and then we plastered over it and that was the couch. And I was like, we need to put some cushion on this. Like, this needs to be a little bit comfortable. He's like, nah, it's fine. We could just, I can, I can enjoy this. This is where I want to write my music. Okay. (laughs) Um, so, I mean, I think there's, there's definitely some people out there that will love it, but it's just, like you said, it's not a popular style. Um, and I hope more people are open to using this type of style (laughs) in the future, because it really makes me so happy to, to have this, but of course I also love to bring in warmth and coziness. So I bring that in with upholstery and pillows and, um, And paint, you know, that set the environment so that it's not so cold feeling.
0: You are listening to my conversation with designer Elisa Baran. We'll be right back. Design Hardware's newly remodeled showroom is where you will find a gallery-style space with a thoughtful display of products, purposefully positioned to allow unbridled exploration and discovery. High-end faucets, luxury tile... Natural stone, wood floors, and bespoke hardware selections are presented in a holistic manner, strategically arranged to stimulate creativity and transition your vision from the conceptual stage to a fully realized space. Conveniently located, free parking available. Stop by to find your inspiration. Collect samples, get expert advice, and tackle everything on your shopping list—all in one place. Visit them online at designhardware.com or in the real world, six zero five three West Third Street in Los Angeles. You also <laughs> do that with Space and Shapes, um, and and like I said, we'll get to that in, in a bit. But I've told this story before, but I, I'm curious: Did you ever see? Um, did you ever see the movie Beetlejuice? Yeah, of course. With Michael Keaton.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so Alec Baldwin's in that. So that was my, that was like my first experience. That's like the first memory I can have, I have, of what the career of an interior designer was. That that was my first experience watching that and seeing like Otho. It's like oh, this someone decorates a space. Like I grew up in Southern California. I grew up in the Valley, right? Mm-hmm. And my house, and you know, when I was growing up in the 1970s. Was your typical mid-century modern rocks on the roof? You know, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, it, it, with the with the with the with the wallpaper that you could just sit there and pet all day because it was so fuzzy, and and the stone fireplace, it was almost Flintstone-like. It really was. But when I saw that design from Beetlejuice, it, it kind of opened my eyes. It it, it was. It was impactful. Was there a moment for you even after you started getting into this where it's like, and, and I keep coming back to this because with your fashion and jewelry background, I can see in your work how it's representative. And, you know, I mean, you're not you're probably not going to be doing Scandinavian totally see it, but something that's like frilly and maximalist. It's like, that's not going to be you. So was there, was there a moment where it was like the light went on and this, and and you said, this is, you know, this is my style. This is, and this is how I want to move my design forward.
1: Yeah. Like I, that was at my brother's house. The, when we designed it in 2017, that was, that's where I realized I love this material. I love plaster and lime wash and um, rough rough materials, natural materials, that's when that pivot happened for me. Cause before that, I was kind of trying to find exactly where I wanted to take each project. And every project had a different feel to it. I was adding color in the project previously to this. Um and then there was, you know, very a very Pinterest project, which is like my first project that I, you know, I didn't know anything. <laughs> and um and yeah, I was just exploring. I was trying to figure out what I loved and I have to thank my brother and give him all credit to, to helping me out with this.
0: How do you find, because you have a specialty, um, how do you find new clients that want what you have?
1: You know, I, I don't find them. They find me. It comes through a lot of my clients come through Instagram or referrals. That's where most of the people um they'll message me and say, "Hey, we checked out your Instagram and we we love your work. How does this work? how can we how can we um work together and uh, and that, or it's a referral from a previous client that said they loved working with you let's let's do something together um, so
0: have you gotten any love from the trades from the trade publications
1: Yes, um so from a publication standpoint, um, Architectural Digest, like Pro, they they always are asking. It's more it's more interview questions. Um, so I've gotten a lot of love through uh, a recent project, Gentry in Studio City. Um, that was that was a great one. It was just a bedroom design, but it was I think it just resonated with a lot of people because of the trendiness of the boucle and lime wash right now. And my client just really wanted this. And I'm trying to steer away from the trends, but it's hard when a client is like, this is what I want. And, you know, <laughs> it's difficult to, to steer them away from trends when this is what they're seeing all the time on Instagram, especially if they're influencers themselves. So I think, uh, yeah, they, they try to, copy a lot, which you know it's hard to put in my own personal style with this, but they do allow me to do this towards the end when I'm styling at the end for my own portfolio, which is really nice. but um, in the end it's their home again in their room so
0: Talk to me about the challenges of, working in a in a brutalist style, minimalist as it relates to, adding that that styling and accessorizing at the end. Do you have a process for that?
1: I'm all about um, putting as getting as much as possible into the space and then editing. So I will make sure we have as much material as possible on site because I don't want to be left without something if it's missing a certain piece or element in the space. Um, And then I'll edit out. So I'll be a maximalist, then become a minimalist. And I, I find this works for me really well, just because I can see what it feels like cluttered. And then I'm like, okay, now we need to make this feel Zen and feel um, like the client will be able to breathe when she comes into the room. And so that's my process is just bringing as much in as possible and then editing out.
0: What about the personal effects? Because that's gotta be, it's gotta be a challenge too. Pictures of the kids, you know, the, their work from school. It's gotta be a challenge.
1: You know, I haven't had clients where that really want to show pictures, which is funny. They, I I guess I'm lucky in a sense, because I don't even, I don't even have a lot of pictures around the house. (laughs) I'll have one or two that I really love for my wedding or, um, you know, a family, but um, yeah, when it comes to clients, they don't really have a lot of pictures, and if they do, again, I will offer frame advice, and and I'll or you know, if they want to keep the frames or they want to keep pictures around their home, I'll edit it and make it look nice so that it's not overwhelmingly, um, you know, full of full of full of pictures, but again when it comes to my portfolio i'll edit that out that's not going in the portfolio it has to be it has to be like what i've styled it as cuz that's personal
0: do you have an idea in your mind about the the evolution of of brutalism minimalism warm and comfortable as it relates to to your style like as you as you personalize this do you have an idea in your mind as to Sort of the evolution of of the of the idea of the concept.
1: Evolution, as in like it's a it's a
0: poorly worded question to be perfectly honest with you. But <laughs> I, what I'm what I'm thinking about is, you know, every time you I have seen creatives who who begin to specialize in a in a certain way. It's never about keeping it the same way and just replicating it and duplicating it. It's about like taking that idea. And moving it forward and adding to it and subtracting from it to create something that is that is then new and different.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I think it's hard to, like I said, clients keep coming back to that same style. They come to me for a reason. And so they see a project that I've done. They're like, oh, I want this. But of course, they want some uniqueness too, which thankfully... Um, I haven't worked on a project where all of the projects look exactly the same when it comes to the color scheme. I'm sure you've noticed it. It has been the same where it's like a lot of beige, a lot of cream, a lot of whites. Everybody wants that clean home right now. Um, for evolution, I think I'm really trying to stray away from lime wash and boucle. This is just driving me a little crazy at the moment. So I'm trying to steer clients away from that and uh, and really push them into other forms of fabric that are like boucle, like more nubby fabrics that maybe are, you know, like a wool that is a little more high end and um, from like Pierre Frey, something with a little more texture and color. Uh, it's hard to do because it, there's everything boucle is mass marketed, so people want they have a budget and they want to stay on that budget. Um, so I I do put a lot of it in my projects just because that's what makes the clients happy. But um, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to get them to move forward. Yeah,
0: well, and also because you know boucle last year at Salone was the thing. It was well, it was one of maybe five the things, but it was it was everywhere. It was ubiquitous at, at Salone last year, and you really heard about it. And you know this year not so much. Um, I don't think it's a it's a trendy thing. I think that it's one of those things that keeps coming back and and, and with what you do, it feels like it can it can continue in your design. Um, but I get the idea that you know you want to change it up a little bit and, and do some new things. How does that relate to where product sourcing is right now? How are you sourcing? How are you finding new materials? How are you, how are you working with vendors? Are you finding things starting to loosen up a little bit?
1: Yeah. Um, I I for sourcing, I source all over. I'm online a lot, um, more so than in the design buildings. But when I do go out in the field, I'll go to um I'll go to all of the design building specific design center and I'll Go shopping at Kravit and you know, pull a bunch of fabrics, and that's what I'll bring to my presentations and see what client gravitates towards. Um I think things are I think things are slowing down for the design centers because there's just so much available online and people love things just getting shipped to them easily, like you have know, material bank that you where you could just order a bunch of fabrics and for free and, and it comes right to your door and makes it so simple. But there's a part of me that loves that brick and mortar where you just walk in and you can touch and feel things and, um, and be a part and experience how it feels in person and lead times of course are, are still, they're not as bad as they were during the pandemic. They are still, um, annoyingly long, but when it comes to custom things, but, um, I'm more on the vintage end anyway, I love to source on first dibs, cherish Facebook marketplace. Um, these, I love if the client is open to not doing something custom and brand new and they're okay with having a vintage, you know, historical piece in their home, which for me, I love, I love when things have a story, then I'm all for it. And it also makes my life easier because then the product arrives that day.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm yeah. Get and feel it. Um, talk to me about that idea of, of the design center. So our, you were bicoastal, So are, were you born and raised in LA? Is LA home or is New York home?
1: New York's home.
0: New York's home. Was LA home?
1: Yes. LA was home for nine years. And then during okay. the pandemic, I flew back to see my family before the pandemic hit and got stuck in New York.
0: Ah, okay. Yes.
1: And with, with, this was during the time I was designing my brother's house and two other projects in LA. And so I was like, how am I going to get back there? I need to be on site. I need to Make sure everything's going properly. i never left LA or like a project alone without being there, and it was uh, a bit traumatizing because I was like, "How am I going to handle this business um, in New York?" and and it worked out. And I realized I could do my work from New York and and still have clients in LA. And that's what made me move back to New York fully and uh, be closer to my family. And I still have my projects in LA, so I'm bi-coastal. And I just go back and forth when I need to, and I have my projects in New York, and it's been great. I just didn't know when that was going to happen. I knew I'd come back to New York at some point. I just, COVID made it happen, so. How did that change your process? It changed it to the point where now I do a lot of Zoom meetings. I am also part of Intro, um, which is a platform that allows any client to reach out to any uh, designer or CEO of whatever they're looking for help with from a 15 minute, 30, 45, or an hour increment period. And uh, they pay for that certain amount of time and they'll be able to upload questions prior to the meeting so that the designer can prepare for it. And then you have a full you know, I have a meeting in 15 minutes and I can give all of the information that the client needs in that 15 minutes or they can extend their time. It's, it's great. It's a great platform. And I realized that I can do this work from anywhere um, when it's small scale. But of course, if it's like a full build, I, I have to make my presence. I have to be on site. And-
0: yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And, and learning how to do this in real time out of necessity is, is just amazing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's life in general, right? You figure it out because you have to.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um so jumping over to some of the projects that that you've done um and again I will I will say uh because this is a podcast and because people are listening, one of the I started doing this years ago and one of the fun things that we're able to do especially when doing this via Zoom is if you're listening, you know, if you're if you're hiking Runyon Canyon or you're or you're driving, don't do this. But if you have a chance to go sit in front of your computer and and go to Alisa uh, Baron. Did I pronounce that correctly?
1: Baron Baron. Baron. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Baron.
0: Alisabaron.com. Um, go to portfolio and you can follow the projects with us as we as we talk through them. I have it's so funny. That's one of the things that, for me, changed, too, with, uh, with Zoom and doing these remote, virtually. Being able to dive into some of these projects and really talk about them and talk through them has been so much fun. And I wanted to start with uh, – oh, and uh, if you go to the show notes, there will be a link to her website, and you can follow along from there. L4F. Is a really interesting project. So this is this is a hospitality project. This is in New York.
1: Yeah, it's in Brooklyn.
0: It's in Brooklyn. Um, So funny because it it looks like it could be an apartment. It could be.
1: Well, it was there. It's a bakery in Brooklyn, and their whole concept during COVID was they sold pastries out of their apartment le patimon 4f which is french for apartment and they then opened up their brick and mortar store and uh, their bakery in cobble hill and um and yeah so it is supposed to be an apartment it's supposed to feel like an apartment and and they just sell their baked goods there
0: mission accomplished no it's perfect and and again i think i picked this one first because this is the kind of the epitome of what i what i envision you're you're trying to accomplish like this this has it is minimal extremely minimal but very comfortable it is symmetrical and asymmetrical simultaneously it is you've you've accomplished a lot here um what did you have to work with what did you start with and where did you go from there
1: well it's funny because what you're looking at is actually a. Uh, The design that I pitched, it's the rendering. Really? Yes. And I owe that to Claudia because this Claudia, this girl, Claudia Adamiak, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing her last name right, but she is a renderer and we worked together and I gave her the whole concept designs, materials, uh, layout, floor plan, and she then made it into the rendering. So this is actually just exactly what I envisioned and what I pitched the clients to to move forward with the process but they ended up going in a way more french direction and that's not my style so <laughs> i put the rendering instead
0: interesting so yeah. you know what it's funny i'm i'm glad that you bring this up because um with the with the rise of of ai mm-hmm. you know renderings like this are going to be so much easier and it's it's funny it creates an issue too, and you know this is I haven't had this conversation yet, but at at what point does the rendering become proof of concept versus an actual project itself? When you can get a rendering like this, I mean down to the pastry, right? Yeah. when you look at this, this is a there's from the space scale, sizing, I mean everything that's there looks proportional.
1: Yeah. It's unbelievable to the point where, so I work with her on every project because I really want the clients to feel exactly how their space should feel and how I would design it. And so I get down to the nitty gritty with those, like with this, I put in the exact pastries that they would be using. And, um, and I put in exactly the upholstery that we were pulling and I, you know, I sent her all the details and, um, it, does become complicated to the, especially from a paint perspective, because you're not going to get that exact color for paint on the first try. Because that changes due to light, due to direction. It's I give I give Claudia the direction of the home and the way the light comes in so she can try to match it as much as possible. But the clients to be like, how do we get this color paint? And I'll be like, oh, well, that's a rendering. So that's not going to look exactly. Uh, like this paint that we spec here, even though they say that it's the exact paint, it all depends on the way the lighting hits your walls and at what time of day. So I think that's the most challenging part when it comes to AI, uh, just renderings in general, is colors, um, because those change in every project, in every home, the way the lighting hits it.
0: Well, what's interesting too is, you know, when it comes to AI, and rendering like something off a mid journey or one of the other sources that you can use, the, the prompts are the most important part, like how you prompt it um, to come up with what you want the end result to be. And I don't know if you, if you work in this at all, but the reason it never even dawned on me that this was a rendering was because there's shadows. There's, there's actual shadow from the light fixtures. If you look at the first image, this is fascinating to me because um, I'm in the process of going through a course. I'm taking a course through MIT. Uh, it's a no-code no AI and machine learning course. Wow. So I've been, I've been going deep in this. I'm, I've been doing it now for about a month and a half, two months. And it's really fascinating what the potential is um, and how it's going to change design. I, I think that if anything is going to change design, It's going to be something like this. Like this is fascinating to me. And I and I have to imagine it dramatically changes the way you do business.
1: Definitely. I love whenever I show these renderings to clients, they're blown away. They're like, wait, that's that's our space. That's what we wanted it to look like. This is this isn't real. (laughs) Like, no, your project's not done yet. Your house isn't finished, (laughs) but this is what it's going to look like. And we're going to get it as close to this as possible.
0: That's fascinating. Um, what's also really interesting about this is you can you can get, it feels like you can solve so many problems through a, a project like this. Now, this is, you worked with a person. So you still had to work with an artist who, who crafted this. This wasn't created automatically based on some, you know, a, a bag of words.
1: No, I wish. <laughs> yeah. That would make life a lot easier. I'm actually working with somebody who's, She's in Amsterdam. So it, there's time changes, there's there's difficulties to getting this right, and it takes months to get to this point.
0: Yeah, but it's just fascinating to me, because if you look at the, for example, if you look at the, the bathroom, and you're looking at the, I'm looking at the mirror, and I'm looking at light fixtures that are reflecting off of the mirror, they look like they're where they're supposed to be. The reflections look like where they're supposed to be, which is just fascinating to me. Okay, so if we went to Syosset, which was the next one, mm-hmm. um, and again, completely representative of what you're looking for, there's there's even, believe it or not, there's even some color in this one, which, yeah. <laughs> walk, walk me through so this your space. Mind. Yeah, walk me through this. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah. So this was a single family residence in Syosset that actually had very low ceilings, very low uh, to the point where when you walked in you felt like claustrophobic, there was no light whatsoever coming through the windows It was very hard to, um, it just felt, it felt very dismal. And my vision immediately was like, we got to open this space up. How can we do it? And when I got up to the second floor, I saw this small attic space that was not used for anything other than a playroom for the kids that I'd lived there. And I was like, all right, this attic's coming out. It's not, it's no longer an attic. We're gonna, we're gonna do, we're gonna open up this ceiling. And that's what changed it. It was a game changer for the project.
0: Now, is this one real or is this one? Re- this is real. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because there's a bathroom again, and I'm looking at the mirror and it looks like the mirror is bent. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> but it's interesting, it creates a, it creates a, a real issue. Like, yeah. it's, a, it's, a fast, it's a fantastic tool. Um, do you, so with a project like this, do you render it in advance and then go off of that in the design?
1: So actually, if you go to Circle, this was the first initial concept. And we ended up, um, the budget was way too high for the client. So we had to change the whole thing. Um, But this was the initial concept, the circle drive. This is a rendering.
0: (laughs) Okay, so all right. So listen, I am totally digging this. And I will tell you why. This is going to be fun. I've never had a chance to do this before. I've never had a chance to look at at a rendering versus the final project where it looks like both are actually the final project. Yeah so it's fascinating to me so uh, the first thing that strikes me is and I got to jump back and forth but the first thing that strikes me is let's talk about the kitchen for a second because this one it looks like you're opening walls and you're taking the ceiling up and you're you're doing a lot of architectural rather structural um work to the space and as we look at the actual project that that didn't happen mm-hmm. But what, what does seem to happen is, you know, looking back at the kitchen again, it's representative of what you were trying to accomplish there. So t- take me through the process of showing a client the rendering, presenting them with the budget, and then saying, okay, well, that's not going to work, but winding up with this, which is still, it feels as cozy. It, it is definitely in the same style. It seems like, I mean, I'm just thinking through this. It's from the business side of it. It seems like it it helps you blend the business side with the artistry.
1: Yeah, I, I think. So how this happened was we met with an architect and we gave her her dream space with this architect. And we just were like, let's do this. Let's do that without even talking about how much these elements were going to we're going to cost because she was so she didn't have a budget at first. So we went all in. And then when we realized how long the lead times were going to be for such doors and windows and how expensive the material, like getting cranes in to like lift all of this, it just became in the permitting process, it just became a nightmare. And we wanted things done quickly. So, um, I had the renderings. I I showed her and she fell in love with them. And it was very hard to get her mind off of that rendering the entire project. (laughs) But I was like, we can, we can still achieve this look by cutting out, you know, these gorgeous steel doors that bifold. We could still achieve it by just having like, you know, a cute coffee nook and, and having a lot of, open light. And, um, we kept the, we ended up keeping the original doors and windows because it just saved money, um, and went with more expensive ter- materials like travertine and marbles, um, to elevate the space and, you know, hardwood flooring, uh, engineered hardware flooring, that was a little bit more expensive, but yeah. So I had to try and get that exact space without actually spending the budget that <laughs> that was initially planned. That wasn't actually there. The budget was never there, but but uh, but she, yeah, she wanted to see what it could look like.
0: So, with the flooring, um, is this? Did you go with it? You still you still replaced the floor, but why didn't you go with the original lighter herringbone?
1: Too expensive, and the lead time was just crazy. Yeah, lead times were, were
0: nuts. In circle. When you enter. There's there's an application that that you use, it it looks like with the scalloped um, piece that's over the what is that
1: and what was the idea there? Barrel ceiling, they call it. OK, big New York thing. Actually, if you go into any subway, you see barrel ceilings. And, um, and there are a few apartments uh, actually for sale now that I went into to just go look at in West Village that are starting to expose. They're taking down the, the drywall from the ceiling and they're they're exposing barrel ceilings. Um, and it's beautiful. And so I grabbed inspiration from the subways and brought that to that entry. And I wanted to pair that with limestone flooring at the entry as well. Um, but this architecture... In this space ended up being too costly with the limestone that was spec um, at Eco Outdoor. <laughs> it was like a reclaimed limestone. Expensive, expensive material that uh, she initially thought that she was gonna move forward with, but then was like, okay, I'm getting too out of hand here. Let's let's cut back. How can we make this work?
0: Uh it's fun too. One of my one of my favorite features. Um In this project is, and it's so funny because now I'm like, am I looking at the real one or am I looking at the rendering the uh, the uh, banquette Mm
1: -hmm. was that
0: there or did you add that in.
1: I added that in so this was a closed off kitchen completely like it had a L shaped kitchen with an a very unnecessary wall blocking the kitchen that blocked all the light. It was very claustrophobic, no banquette at all. And I was like, this space is calling for something cozy and a breakfast nook. And this client loved to read in the morning and have her breakfast. I'm like, this is your space. Like this is, what's going to make you happy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I get that. Okay. So um, Gentry, is that your brother's house?
1: No, this is, uh, yeah, this is a client, the studio city client. I mentioned
0: earlier. So I, you know, and I will end with this one. Love this. It's it, this is a. It's a very. Is it real or a rendering? It, uh,
1: it's the gentry. This is real. Yeah, because I did it's a confusing. rendering. Confusing. I did a yeah. I did a rendering for her, but I didn't. I didn't put this on my website. I just. Did, I just posted the real. And it's
0: funny too because I I I really do love that as a as a tool. Um, because you, it seems like you can do so much with it, but, but this is a. You know, this this bedroom, I, I feel like is a is prototypical for what you're trying to accomplish. Fair.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I would say, you know, it was a bit challenging for me because she was more contemporary. Um, She liked this more so than uh brutalism and wabi-sabi feeling. But I pushed her towards she wanted everything to be very light and bright. That was a big part. And she also loved grays, which I generally steer away from unless it's in board form, <laughs> material or concrete. Um, so yeah, it, it was a challenging project because I, I was, I kept giving, I gave her tons of renderings because I wanted her to do a specific thing. And, and we changed it multiple times and we ended up with this, which I I love the result um, but she's a makeup influencer um, on YouTube. So she needed a really cool mirror. You can see it in the picture that was custom um, that was backlit that, you know, gave nice light for her YouTube videos. But yeah, I would say this is uh, very close to my style because in the end, I got to style it um, before taking the photos.
0: I think and- it's funny, too. I think it's funny, too. You, you said that, you know, you're, you're not working with with gray, but gray is the official color of brutalism.
1: I know. I know. It's funny. It's because I, I mean, I love concrete, like I said, and I, like if I could live anywhere, it'd be in a warehouse with very old, uh, like seventies or eighties furniture that is upholstered cozy, but the warehouse is very brutalist and cold and with like steel doors and windows. Um, so I love this type of gray, but when it comes to gray paint, like flat gray paint, I, I don't love, but she, this is what she wanted initially.
0: Talk to me about the shop. It's interesting because I'm feeling like you you also have a highly curated, I'm not, I don't feel like it. I'm looking at it. You have this highly curated store on your site too. And, and is that kind of like your entry into something greater?
1: I started this during COVID and it was a side project. I was I was trying to get out of the house and meet people. And, and so I would meet people on Facebook marketplace that were local. And I also needed to fill up my projects quickly. Um, and I didn't want to wait for the lead time. So I would be like, okay, I need a marble end table. Let me source on Facebook marketplace. Who's local. I need this now. And I would find them and buy them. And if it didn't work out for the project, I, I just started putting it on my shop and um That's how that started. And I kind of put it on halt after my projects started picking up again. Uh, But I do love to source and I love to create custom pieces as well. And eventually I'll pick that back up. But I just am not in love with the whole packing process and shipping process. So I'm more of the sourcing, let's style it in in the home project. So now I just have like a bunch of of stuff that... (laughs) I picked up and, and eventually we'll put on the shop, but not yet.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Um, It's really, it's interesting too, because when, when speaking with designers, you know, knowing that a line is always something that designers have either in the back of their minds or they want to do right now, but also there's, in talking to so many creatives there's always like well i would do a line if i knew what i wanted to do but i don't really know what i want to do because they don't have a signature style of their own or you know they're they're more you know opaque in what they want because they want to mirror what their clients want because you're so clear with your own aesthetic your own style what you what you want do you now start thinking about Lines and partnerships and collaborations, and if so, do you have any yet, or are you starting to work on those?
1: Yeah, I've I've a lot of uh, collaborations that are in the works. They just haven't come out yet because uh, it takes a lot of time. It takes like two years to get these things going. But um, one that is coming out this year is with um, Art and Loom. It's a Miami-based rug company, and we have a custom brutalist collection coming out (laughs) and uh, rugs and brutalism doesn't that doesn't really go together but uh you'll see once it comes out that um it's that's there's a lot of symmetry and geometry and it's fun it will be coming out in june 22nd that's the launch date
0: that's awesome you know it's it's funny too um and and by the way by the time folks hear this we will be past the launch date. So where will that be available?
1: On their website, uh artandloom.com. Okay. They're doing a full uh, a full renovation of their website right now. So if they don't change that artandloom.com, that's what it is.
0: <laughs> Isn't it funny too? Like if you ever walk through Target, you will start to see brutalist accessories, like the 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 prototypical ball with the spikes. Mm-hmm. You will, you will see that at Target. Does that surprise you?
1: No, I, I don't think so. I I'll sometimes even go to Target and, you know, if I just need something very quickly, uh, home goods target, something very quickly for a project to style, that's going to be like, hit it in the back, like not, you can't really tell if it's made, uh, it's made mass produced um, then yeah, I'll do that. But no, it doesn't surprise me when I see that because everything eventually is a knockoff, right? <laughs> it all comes full circle, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, that's why I try to source more vintage than go mass produce because then at least I'm getting something unique.
0: Love it. Love it. This is great. Alisa. this was so great. Thank you for taking the time today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation, Josh.
0: Likewise, me too. Oh. We are living in a time of incredible growth, both technologically and creatively, with respect to interior design, exterior design, and architecture. There is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living, designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors to fit any design style or aesthetic. A history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community. So, you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living, their website, MoyaLiving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. Thank you, Elisa. I am so happy we finally met and had the opportunity to talk. Thank you for taking the time to share your story, and thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you to my partners and sponsors, Thermosol, Moya Living, and Design Hardware for your partnership and support. And thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to the show. I hope this always allows you to think about things, specifically design, in new ways. As we put a bow on 2023, there are a few things you should know. I have some really fun productive, and exciting new programming for you in 2024. Gosh, where to start? It includes the Design Messengers, a brand new Monday episode that will cover issues, news developments, and ideas for you to grow your design business. As an aside, so you can understand the perspective where this is coming from, I stopped really covering the business of design a few years ago, as there was this flood of new podcasts that were covering the business of home and design. That's not what the design messengers is. Instead of business tips, this is going to be a synopsized high-level view of new concepts, economic developments, technological advancements, and other ideas that I think will help you launch into your week. I hope it does anyway. These episodes will drop on select Mondays, sometimes every Monday, sometimes not. But as long as you are subscribing to the podcast, you'll receive them automatically in your feed. I will also be publishing a new series called West Edge Wednesday. These will feature the conversations that took place live from the West Edge Design Fair in Santa Monica, California, in November of 2023. If you missed the show, you can hear all the talks as if you were there in person. That's my hope. I also have two new additional series that will be published to the feed. Throwback Thursdays, a Hall of Fame version featuring some of your favorite design talent that have appeared on the show over the past 11 years. And Drinking drinking About Design, a Friday series where I get together virtually with fun and amazing design and architecture talent, and we uncover stories from the world of design while getting a little loose. A little loose. I think you are going to really love these And hey, if you are so inclined, plan on listening to the show on a Friday afternoon with a pop or two of your own. It'll be a thing. Please keep those emails coming, convilbydesign, at outlook.com, with show suggestions, guest ideas, or just to say hello. I love them. I really do. Thanks again. And until next week, be well and take today first. (sighs)